This episode of the Buffalo Brews Podcast is brought to you by the Tap and Craft Festival. Saturday, October 21st at the Niagara Falls Convention Center, you can share a drink with over 30 craft breweries, cideries, and wineries while enjoying live music, vendors, food, and games. Go to tapandcraft.com for tickets. Cheers. The Buffalo Brews Podcast is part of the Hopped Up Network, which is an ever-growing group of independent beer podcasts dedicated to providing insight in our local craft beer communities, including right here in Buffalo and Western New York. It's great to meet you. Yeah, so uh, we'll jump right into it here since I'm, you know, efficiently late here. And uh, why don't you tell us who you are and what you do? Yeah, I'm Jesse Smith and just starting up Queen City Quality, a lab service for Buffalo Breweries. Yeah, and I took a lot of uh, interest in in the science part of this, uh, primarily from watching your Instagram site. And as much as we enjoy beer going out and and, uh, we know that people make it, we drink it, uh, but we don't know the sciences that are behind it, and um, hold on here. Why do people do this to me now? Someone's trying to call me. Bad time to call me, people. Okay. So, yeah, and then we know how beer is made, but we didn't know that there is actually a service out there that can make beer better. Uh, can yeah. You talk to me about the specifics about what you do. Yeah, there's a whole lot of, you know, science that goes into beer. So on the brewer's end, they're very much able to be creative and do the recipe process and all of that. And then I'm there to make sure their beer is consistent, that it's the same every time it turns out the way they want it to, and that nothing's growing in it that shouldn't be. You know, luckily with beer, we've got alcohol, we've got hops. You're not going to make anyone, you know, super sick. You know, you're not going to kill anyone, thank God. But it could be that it's not true to brand or, you know, it's really stinky, something like that. <laughs> So, yeah, making sure that the beer turns out the way that the brewer anticipated it. But then also there's a lot of money saving, a lot of cost savings for the brewer, too. Okay. If you're you know, doing consistent beers, you can plan your beers better. Uh, you don't have to waste products. Lots of things like that. There's a lot of pros to it. Okay. So if I'm going to, uh, let's say, my favorite local brewery, and uh, if I ever encountered something that was just didn't seem like it's up to par, like I'm a huge IPA fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I go and it's just something doesn't seem up to par and it's happened, I've been places and you know, it's just not up to snuff. Uh, you have in your service, the ability through testing to find out what may be wrong and how to adjust the dials to make that better then. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, being in the craft beer industry for about six or seven years now, I feel like I've seen most of the quality issues mm-hmm. that can pop up. So at this point I, you know, I can taste a beer and say, okay, I'm pretty sure I know what's wrong with it. Let's go back through your process and see, okay, do we need to look at your malt? Do we need to look at your yeast health? Something like that. Or just dialing in your IBUs. It's a little too bitter. The little, all the little things like that. To uh, to better help understand listeners, what it, going into a little more specifics, but how about uh, we get a little background because how do you get to this point? Yeah, I uh, studied biochem at University of Buffalo 
kind of thought I wanted to do a PhD route academic, but started, you know, going through school. And then I was like, okay, I'm just, I need a break. I'm tired. I don't know what I'd want to do my PhD in anyway. So I had a lot of uh, yeast research in my uh, studies, having to do a research component. So I was growing yeast, propagating, counting cells. I was like, oh, this is really cool. I kind of like this aspect of it. So then started going around to local Buffalo breweries and asking, hey, is there a need for this? Someone with this background? And yeah, back in, let's see, that was 2015. A lot of them were smaller, weren't ready for a lab, but knew, okay, this is important for breweries. So then I just applied to breweries all over the country, like 40 or 50 of them. I was like, all right, I know I want to try this out. Let's go anywhere else for a little bit. So moved down to Houston to work at St. Arnold Brewing. And they had an established lab. So it was a perfect place to get started. A pretty large brewery, be able to learn about, you know, all the different aspects of quality testing, get better at beer sensory, because I hadn't been a huge beer drinker before that. So, you know, kind of tuning into all of that. And yeah, really just kind of honing my skills and then starting to focus more on yeast health, propagation, microbiology. So then after being there for a while, I decided I want to come back up north. I miss the snow, I guess. Oh, jeez. So, <laughs> I'm crazy, I guess. Um, so, yeah, uh, currently at Single Cut Beer Smiths, running their lab, and then decided to make the transition to doing my own lab service. Okay. And Single Cut Beer Smiths, where are they located? Um, so they all, they have a facility in Queens, but I'm located just outside of Albany okay. in their Clifton facility and they do contract brewing here so it's fun to juggle a bunch of different breweries at the same time all their different you know needs and what they want different yeast handling practices so it's been a a challenge but a fun one okay and then is so with the working with single cut and having the opportunity to work with so many breweries around the buffalo area i would be remiss if i didn't ask you if there was a specific beer that you uh might have been able to hone and make uh you know make even better through your research and work Yeah, um, at Single Cut, you know, even just with their brands, but with the contract ones as well, um, you know, it's a lot of IPAs, a lot of hazy. So being able to refine it and, um, you know, kind of like, okay, this is what the brewer wants. This is what their final attenuation, what they're looking for to cut. So there have been a couple brands where it's like, all right, it's finishing a little bit higher than we would like. Let's, and that was a lot of yeast health changes. So working on their propagation system. So with a lot of the beers, single cut, and then the contracts throughout the facility, we were able to kind of start nailing those final gravities. And everyone was like, okay, this is what we're going for. And it, yeah, it was mostly just yeast health. Okay. And then, uh, well, one of the questions I had is and obviously yeast health, because there's a lot in your uh, social media that covers that. But one of the things I looked at in recent conversations with a few brewers is uh, we talk about the water quality in Western mm-hmm. New York. Um, I just came from, uh, so I just came from the Finger Lakes this weekend. I should say, well, uh, uh, Rochester. So I was out to um, Trip Hammer, um, Copperleaf, and Seven Story. And mm. there, we just had like many conversations about water quality. Uh, but coming from a vacation like I had in the Caribbean, the water profile there is completely different. And the conversation we had at Leatherback Brewing had to do with uh, yeast versus the water profile there versus really anywhere in the world. Uh, how does how much does water play into uh, as far as figuring out chemistry and the health of the beer? It's huge. And it's definitely one of those 
parts that's often overlooked because it's not the sexy ingredient. No. It's not, you know, <laughs> your hops and all that, but it's crucial to your brew and it can change, you know, little nuances. So I think for, you know, if you're a large brewery, being able to, uh, you know, do RO water and then add back your salts. But if you're, you know, not at that point, just getting water reports and knowing, okay, here's the composite. And that can change over the course of a year sure, uh, seasonally. So just getting water reports and seeing, okay, this is where my water's at. This is what I want to add in to make it, you know, a certain way. But yeah, even just based on certain styles, it's super important and yeah, often overlooked. Yeah. Uh, and you were talking about that uh, currently you're in Albany. You're going to be making the transition back to Buffalo shortly. Um, mm-hmm. By the way, weather report here, 41 degrees in Buffalo yesterday, 86. Um, so if you haven't got sick yet, um, just wait and it, that'll happen. Uh, but, you know, we're really getting ready for um, a, a great beer season here. I've heard a lot of talks about styles like saisons that are going to be really big this year. Uh, but again, going you know into um, uh, beer health. So we, what does a typical day look like for you in the lab? Yeah. So in the lab, it's kind of nice because every day is different. You know, I never know what's going to happen. So that's kind of rare in lab work where that can be very monotonous and, you know, repeatable. So this is really nice where every week I kind of have a schedule for uh, plating fermentations, doing micro on those, but then, you know, a beer is crashed. So it's ready for ABV or IBU. And it also depends on the packaging schedule. So it's kind of, uh, you know, some days where I know, okay, I'm going to be plating or making plates. Right. Um, but then other days it's like, all right, well, all right, we got to do forced diacetyl on this one sensory and things like that. So it's always different. Yeah. I'll hit on uh, specifically on your social media addresses when we, when we wind up here, but uh, I was really drawn to your Instagram because you have so much, so much difference in variety, uh, stories, little posts, and it's just enough teaser that made me curious. That's why I reached out to you initially. Uh, one day you're doing, um, you know, you're doing cultures. Uh, another day, you know, just shows you doing a, a deep clean day. Uh, you know, there's it doesn't seem like you have a, a boring day at all. No. And sometimes when it is a boring day, it's kind of nice where it's like, okay, everything's good. Everything's stable, but there definitely are some of those days where even today I'm working on some IBUs and I'm getting weird readings. Oh, so it's okay. like, okay, I need to, you know, figure, this could be right for the beer or it could be something with my process, my equipment, all those things. So there are days like that too, where it's like, okay, I got to sit down and figure this one out. <laughs> yeah. And there's uh, IBUs is something that I'm learning more about. I know for a lot of the, you know, beer drinkers around, it's kind of a thing where they, uh, they understand it. For me, I look at IBU, something that has a high BU, IBU uh, content. It's um, I re- the term I use is chewy. Uh, sometimes mm. you can have a beer that's heavier and almost seems like it coats the tongue heavily and it's, it comes off as chewy. And that's something in the lab that uh, you can figure out whether or not, uh, you can wax it or wane it if it's necessary to create a better component. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And IBUs are a really good measurement to see if you're drifting. If you're making the same beer, you're at the point, okay, I want it to be exactly the same every time. This is what my consumer is expecting. So you can see with your different hop lots, you know, every single year when you have different uh, varieties of hops, and different ones, they're going to have different alpha acids. So you can see, okay, if you're keeping track of all this stuff, if you're doing them regular, 
regularly and graphing them, you can see, okay, whoa, my IBUs have been drifting. I thought it was more bitter, but I guess I hadn't noticed because it was slowly happening. So you can keep track of things like that. And then that way you can also save money as the brewer. You can reduce your amount of hops if it's giving you more bitterness than you originally wanted with your recipe. Okay. And I'm, I'm learning a ton is a uh, just getting into home brewing myself this summer. So I'm doing a lot of class reading and a lot of understanding specifically on how things work. So this is great education for, for uh, me as well. Uh, we're talking about what how a, a typical day in the lab is. But one of the things, like, again, going back to your social media, where you put out great information in those teasers, a couple of things I wanted to bring up to just uh, see if you could, you know, enlighten us a little bit more is, uh, first of all, you have beer can succulents on the uh, uh, on the windowsill. Uh, so creative uh, to the point where I tried to slow the video or stop the videos and I found that I wasn't so lucky at doing it. So I had to watch it on loop constantly <laughs> to see which p- specific beer cans you had featured on the windowsill. <laughs> yeah. But I love that. That's a, that's a, a fun use of, uh, you know, using your own uh, your own job and what you enjoy to, uh, to, and then creating a little bit of life in the lab as well. Yeah, honestly, just having a little bit of greenery in the lab is so nice. And this is the first one at the single cut lab where I have really nice windows. So as soon as I got here, I knew, all right, we need some greenery. We That's, need some plants. That's great. Here. And do, do you have a view there as well, I hope? Um, it's just of the CO2 tank, so it's not that great, but at least I can see what's happening with the weather. That's, that's enough for me. That's good. That's good. And then, uh, if you catch, uh, if you catch some of your uh, posts once in a while, there's a little lab dancing as well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any preferred music styles or are you all over the place? Oh, all over. I, uh, (laughs) my parents, I'd say they have pretty good taste in music. So, you know, Allman Brothers, C.B. Ray grew up listening to all that stuff. I like her. I like her. (laughs) (laughs) You know, my parents have pretty good taste. And then living in Texas for a while, got into some like Texas country, but yeah, pretty much all over the place. Whatever's got me, I'm a, I'm a, I, I like some good '90s country myself. I'm actually going to see uh, Clint Black this summer. Um, oh, cool. so it's one I've never checked off my list, so it's going to be great to to see him. But you know, just to, you know, being able to see artists out there like Joe Diffie, and you know, uh, last uh, last summer I saw um, uh, Tracy. Uh, oh my goodness, she's well, I can't even remember. Um, it was Terry Clark, Tracy. Oh my gosh, real deep voice too. My son Uh-oh. would correct me. My friends would correct me. So, but uh, yeah, but I but I move on from that anyway. And then uh, one of my most uh, the the one day I like most on your social media is Mondays because you always put out the micro Monday, yes. and you had a real great one because we're talking on Monday, and we had a great one just today, which is uh, see, is it Fusarium? Is that how it's pronounced? Fusarium. Okay, yep. tell me about Fusarium. So Fusarium, it's also called Ergot. Ergot. Um, it's yeah, it only affects grains, at least as far as I know, and as far as brewing ingredients. So if your grain is sitting too long, kind of like on the maltster side of things, it gets all wet, moldy. This is where this bacteria can um, take hold and it's actually toxic. So the question that I'd posed was, does this, um, was this grain part of the Salem witch trials? So there's a theory that (laughs) with this, you can get ergot poisoning and it causes hallucinations. It's like all this crazy stuff. So they thought, okay, were they being poisoned by their grain back in the day? And then is this what caused them to kind of go crazy and start the Salem witch trials? 
So there are some theories about that. Um, for the most part, people say, no, it really didn't cause the, you know, all the sparks. Oh, how do they know? Cause. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> but it can, at least like when it comes to your beer, it wouldn't cause, you know, toxicity or poisoning because you're boiling it and everything, but it could cause gushing in your cans, oh, okay. um, you know, exploding. But for the most part, it's one of those things that you don't see too often. The maltster is aware of it, able to make sure it's not getting to the brewer. But on the brewer's end, just kind of like physically checking, you know, if you get a sample of your grain, just mm. physically checking it and seeing, okay, does it look all right? Does it look kind of dark? You can check for things like that. Okay. Well, see, now there's something I didn't even know before that you got yeast that can actually affect grain negatively. What's the yep. most common strain that you did that you uh, deal with in the lab? Ooh, um, so as far as yeast, it's just the um, like London three, you know, the typical okay. hazy strain. Um, and yeah, here at Single Cut, we've only got two yeast strains: the London three and then House Ale strain. Where when I was at St. Arnold's, we would have maybe six or seven different strains at a time. Okay. Bulls, London 3, Conan, all of that. So got used to juggling them. Uh, London 3 is tough. It's hard to uh, narrow down, hard to harvest and count, all of that. But it does create really nice flavors. Um, so that's the one. Yeah, I think that's the one we work with the most in here. Okay. Uh, one of the um, – you were talking about uh, fermentable sugars and things like that before. Uh, so there was a few words that were – I'm actually on your website right now that uh, I am reading. I keep reading it over again and without going to Google or try, trying to get some sort of definition myself. Uh, but it talks about gravity and the measure of fermentable sugars and the importance uh, – What's it says an important metric for hot side and fermentation tracking um, mm -hmm. gravity is something that's a term i've never heard before hmm, okay so gravity specific gravity or play-doh um your measurements of your original gravity pretty much how much fermentable sugar are you starting with um, and that'll determine how well your yeast are going to actually ferment how okay. much alcohol co2 that they're going to uh produce so that's another thing looking at your malt um, and making sure that there's enough fermentability in there so that you're allowing your yeast to start out strong. Okay. So, so, so essentially I've been, people have been around have just never used the word, but now I know exactly what you mean by that. Now uh, you, uh, you're talking about uh, pH as well, which really stands for itself. It's uh, it's between water. It's between the, the product mm -hmm. that you make as well. Um, cell count and viability. Uh, so you're talking about uh, staining with, uh, methylene blue, and then counting the yeast cells under a microscope. You touched on that earlier, but uh, if you could go into as far as um, the importance of uh, preventing those fermentations, what that does. Yeah, so um, getting your cell count is super important for knowing, did I pitch enough yeast? Okay. Based on the volume of my batch, my starting gravity, will I have enough yeast to have this fermentation be successful? And the other side of it, viability, sure, you can have a high density of yeast, but if they're all dead, that's not going to help you. That's going to create off flavors. And then same comes with harvesting your yeast. Let's say you want to repitch, go cone to cone. You can see, okay, this was a really good density. I want to use this yeast or it's not worth it. It's not healthy. It's got, you know, off flavors, the potential for that. So being able to do both of those types of counts will help you with your fermentations and making sure you're not under pitching so you don't have a slow fermentation, pretty much preventing off flavors. Okay. 
And, and you know, with the multitude of services that you have, uh, one of the uh, one of the things I wanted to ask because in the days past, this is one of my more humorous things that I bring up here is I was a big fan of NCIS for years, and okay. Abby Shudo, she used to have all of her machines in her lab that she loved like her own children. Uh, do you have a favorite child in the laboratory? And if so, do they have a name? Oh, that's such a good question. Uh, I don't know if I have a name for it, but I do like the micro incubator. Okay. Um, just cause you know, it's every single day I'm opening it up. I'm checking plates. Um, you know, it's gotta be at the right temperature and I kind of never know what to expect when I open it up and check plates. It could be good or it could be something's growing and then I have to investigate it, but I, I need to put a name on it. That's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mr. Uh, I believe Abby used to have uh, Mr. Spectrometer. He just did, it was a very mundane name, but she loved that machine because it would tell her everything about everything. You know, it's a television show, whether or not it was all true, who knows, but uh, I, believe. I, I believe yours better though. <laughs> um yeah you know finally before uh before we wrap things up here and then we get to do, do a little mundane talk off uh off on the side because i do have like curious uh homebrewing questions as well but um where can people find you on social media that's the big one um queen city quality mm-hmm. on instagram all together um, yeah, pretty much Instagram. That's where I'm posting the most, like you're saying, doing the micro Mondays, interacting with people and trying to put out just educational beer science content to, you know, get people get their feet wet and understand, okay, this is what could be growing in your beer. This is what's important about your beer. Yeah, it's a real fun watch because, like I said, I got drawn to it. I don't even know how I came upon your page originally, but then I see this and I'm like, oh, this is really fun because you give me just enough and I'm like, I want to see more. And then the next (laughs) post is about something completely different. So that's why I had to reach out. I was like, okay, I got to understand this better because trying to really get into the science of beer, I had no clue where to go with this. So this was a good stepping off point as well as the education that I've got going on right now. Uh, People can look at uh, your services, what's available at uh, Queen City Lab, or I'm sorry, Queen City Quality Lab. That's a mistake I made when I sent this Zoom invite. Yeah. And... (laughs) And you can go there and find everything that that, that you would need. Um, yeah, I want to be able to draw as much attention to you because I just I, I don't know of any other services like that that are in the area, honestly. Um, and yet I'm super excited to get back to the Buffalo area. It's where I was born and raised. And yeah, just kind of being back in New York State, seeing how the Buffalo breweries have really grown and they're at the point where they're ready for this quality testing. So my goal is, yeah, to focus on those Buffalo breweries, be there for them for any situations, any scenarios, and yeah, help them grow. Well, we uh, so we here at the, the Buffalo Brews Podcast, we're actually uh, sponsored by the uh, Tap and Craft Festival that's going to be going on in uh, October at the Niagara Falls Convention Center. And that's a great collection of 30-plus uh, breweries that are, are there. And we actually just, in a conversation we had, somebody referred to us as the New York Mecca of beer. I'll take it. Yeah. I honestly oh, will. Oh, my God. Um, we yeah. have 64 and growing in the number of breweries that are in the area, and people are yet to use the word saturated, so I, I think we mm-hmm. keep going. And I know of at least one that opened this past week uh, in Gowanda, and then there are two more that are on their way that I know of, and one I think the one that's just kind of taking their time. So, so much to do in yeah. Buffalo when it comes to great beer. It's so cool to see 
how many breweries have popped up since I, you know, moved to Houston and then came back. And yeah, I'm excited for the Buffalo summers and to be able to have a beer canal side. <laughs> All right, Jesse. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure Thank talking you. to you. We'll, uh, we'll see you soon then around here somewhere. Yeah. 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 Uh, end of May, I'll be officially back. It's good. So we'll have to meet up and grab a beer. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> All right. Have a good night. Thanks, Jason. Thanks. Bye. Bye.